You are listening to the VBAC Link podcast, episode number 83. And today we have Rachel, whose story is so exciting. She had an unexpected, unassisted home birth and for her VBAC. And we, we are so excited to hear all the details. We found her in our Facebook group. Uh, after she shared the news and connected. And I just cannot wait to hear all of the details because from what I know so far, it is just pretty exciting story. But as usual, before I do that, Megan has a review of the week for us. Yes, I do. And today this is from Shine for the World to See. And she says, after having my emergency C-section last year, I struggled with all these displaced emotions. Here I was, so grateful for my healthy, happy baby, but I found myself feeling hurt, like I had something taken from me, and I struggled finding a safe place to share this since it felt like no one around me had ever experienced the same thing I did. This podcast and group of women are my safe place. I am expecting baby number two, and I am so grateful for the empowerment that the stories told here are giving me. I am so excited to try for a VBAC this time. And the more I learn here, the more confident I become. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for making this podcast. Yay, that makes me happy. That, you know, it does. It makes my heart just so, so happy. And I mean, that's, that's our goal here is creating a safe place for women to share their stories, to get information, to feel supported and loved. And so I love that she is getting exactly what we're hoping for. We love that you feel loved. Yeah. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Frankham and Megan Heaton. VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Welcome, welcome. It's Women of Strength Wednesday, and we're really excited. But before we get to Rachel's story, I wanted to talk about something. Megan doesn't even know what I'm going to talk about right now. No, I don't. But I was thinking about, um, I posted on Instagram today a a quote from the, um, a quote about due dates and how Mm. your due date is just an educated guess about when your baby will come. And you actually have to make it to the 42 week mark before you're considered overdue or post term. Because Mm -hmm. lately we've had a lot of women like in our Facebook community and messaging us and on Instagram commenting and saying, well, my provider, um, if I if I hit 40 weeks, he he won't even induce me. He just wants to give me a C-section. And I feel like this is like a trend, like the last couple of weeks, it's just been like, there's been so much of that going on. And it makes me sad because these women, women trust their providers and they should be able to trust their providers. But when they're not going on evidence-based information, it's hard. And like, what are you Mm -hmm. supposed to do? And so I was like thinking about that after I posted today and I was seeing all the comments coming in and and a lot of them like made me really happy because there are some providers out there that are really supportive and will trust a woman's body um, to go past 40 weeks as long as it needs to. But there are some other providers out there that for whatever reason, don't like to let women, especially VBAC moms, go past that 40-week mark. And so I was thinking about 
um, as we kind of think about often is like, how do we really help people to understand like how to avoid cesareans in the first place, but also how to get them to identify what's wrong, like their providers and, and avoid the bait and switch and find a supportive provider in the first place. I mean, we kind of talk about that with our episode in, on body autonomy with Dr. Stu, and it's kind of, I feel like we've been talking about it here and there for, for a little bit now, um, especially. And I was thinking of how much focus that I think people do on like, oh, find out your hospital cesarean rate or ask your provider what their C-section rate is. And um, if they don't tell you, then that's a red flag and you should run or whatever. And I was thinking like, why are we putting so much focus on finding out what your hospital cesarean rate is instead of educating the woman, the parent on how to identify these things and how to find a provider that fits in line with the type of birth that they want in the first place. Honestly, like Megan and I have both seen as doulas, clients walk into a hospital with a super high cesarean rate and super high induction rate, and the client gets a VBAC with no problem. Mm -hmm. And we've seen even the most educated clients and the most prepared clients and the most intuitive clients end up with repeat cesareans. And so I'm sitting here, and this is kind of like, maybe not even a completely formed thought yet, but... I want to start a, like a mind shift of instead of like focusing on, oh, find a hospital with the lowest cesarean rate in your area, focus on knowing what the red flags are, interviewing multiple providers before picking one, do not being afraid to switch a provider mm -hmm. when it gets close to your due date if you see red flags and following your intuition and honoring your heart and finding a supportive team and, and who cares if it's at the hospital with the highest cesarean rate if you are educated and you know what you want and you know how to ask for it and you use that with your intuition and your common sense and you bring all that together, you can have a good birth experience if you know what to ask for and if you know what to demand. And it's really interesting because I'm going to try and not take too much more time here, but I was having a conversation with my mother-in-law on Sunday who I really love. And I was talking to her about some of my health problems that I'm going through and some of our other family members and about how frustrated I am with trying to find a supportive provider. It has nothing to do with birth or anything, but it's frustrating. And she told me to use the phrase, that's not good enough for me. Huh. If your provider tells you, you have to have a C-section at 40 weeks, if you haven't gone into labor by then, tell them that's not good enough for me. Hmm. That's not good enough. And I like have this huge like mind blown like epiphany moment. I'm like my mother-in-law is teaching me even more about like how to better support people. Mm -hmm. That simple phrase, that's not good enough for me. And see what shift happens in how you're treated during your care. And if you're not treated any differently, then it might be a sign that you need to go somewhere else. Or it might be a sign that you're just going to have to work a lot harder to get treated fairly during your birth, which is sad but at least you know right yeah what I do you have to think what do you no, think about yeah. that Megan no <laughs> yeah I mean I, I just think educating and really understanding like what happens at that 40 week mark mm -hmm. and what doesn't happen at the 40 week mark like the placenta just shutting down mm -hmm. that type of stuff you know because those types yeah. of things will be talked about and mentioned and when you're at that point, it gets very scary. And so you tend to do things that 
And you're very pregnant and you're tired. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's it's hard. It's a very vulnerable moment. It is. So, you know, I do feel like, you know, making sure that wherever you're going, you're going to be supported, but is important, but also just having that armor of education behind you and, and knowing what's good enough for you and what's not. Yep. And even the, even hospitals with the lowest C-section rates have a provider with the highest C-section rate in that Mm -hmm. hospital. Mm -hmm. And the hospitals with the lowest cesarean rate, if you walk in there uneducated and unsure of your rights, then you never know who's going to have a bad day or tired or just wants to go home or rush through things. Because hospital staff, we've already talked about it, they're they work hard and they are overworked. And sometimes that affects how they treat the people they interact with, as it does with everybody in every job. And so anyways, that's just my little like thought process today. Mm. I'm like, let's focus less on finding a hospital with low cesarean rate, even though that is a very important part still, mm-hmm. and focus more on like, let's educate these women. Let's let them know that they have control, they're in power. And if your provider tells you something that is not good enough for you, let them know it's not good enough for you love it soapbox closed all right all right let's turn the time over to rachel (laughs) yes rachel thank you so much for hanging in there with me while i soapboxed away i am so excited to hear your story and i'm just gonna go ahead and let you take it away okay hello so i guess my story begins with um getting pregnant in the spring of 2016 with my first son my pregnancy overall was really quite uncomplicated. The only thing that was a little interesting is my husband has a congenital heart defect. And so with both my pregnancies, I had to get a fetal echo. Um, and thankfully, there were no issues with either heart for my children. The other sort of unique thing is I worked, so I'm a social worker, and I worked in the neonatal ICU at the hospital that I delivered at. And so very early on, I kind of learned the culture of being in the NICU, and we're, it was a, it's a prestigious hospital, um, well-known, well-ranked, and there's a lot of feelings about people doing things outside of the box, um, for example, like a home birth or um, even just speaking up during, you know, labor and delivery. We would always hear about, oh, that, you know, that mom or she refused this or she refused that, and it, it kind of stuck with me, and I, I learned that you should really trust your OB, you should trust the medical team to make the decisions for you. And if you don't do that, bad things happen. And so that's kind of the way I saw my pregnancy, the way that I saw my prenatal care. I just didn't really educate myself a whole lot. I kind of just went with the flow and and did what was recommended and didn't really think I needed to do anything more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, So you know, my labor comes, my water broke the day, um, and my actual due date, at about 11 o'clock at night as I was getting into bed. <laughs> and I called the hospital, and of course, they wanted me to come in. And I think, you know, looking back, that was probably the first thing I I could have waited on. But um, we went in, and of course, it was, you know, amniotic fluid, and as if I didn't know that. But they admitted me, and I pretty much sat there in the hospital all night um, without really anything happening. And my husband and I did get up and walk around a little bit, but it was interesting that no one was really telling us what to do or to do anything. It's kind of like crickets, just like, okay, nothing's happening here. We're just kind of hanging out. 
And I knew that we were getting closer and closer to the morning to start Pitocin because my water did break. And I was super nervous about being induced. I really didn't want to be. But all, the whole night went by and the next morning came and I knew that was going to happen. So about 1 p.m., Pitocin was started. And this is when I really noticed that just kind of going with whatever the <laughs> provider said wasn't jiving with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I started uh, getting pretty emotional and, and it wasn't anything obnoxious, but just kind of private with my husband. I was, I started to cry and just knowing like, okay, this was going to become difficult. And um, the nurse, I can't even really remember exactly what she said, but her she made a comment that was really quite condescending. Just like, oh, you're getting emotional. Okay. Oh, geez. <laughs> um, you're like, yes, then, this yeah, is kind of a big day. <laughs> yeah, and I've been here for a long time now without eating anything. So, I'm, you know, just all of those emotions and things were happening. And already just the vibe wasn't feeling good um, from the people who were, you know, caring for me. So, Pitocin was started, and I, you know, the contractions picked up right away. And I, I think it was maybe six hours or so, I was contracting and didn't take any medication or have, you know, an epidural, even though I feel like a thousand people asked me if I wanted an epidural. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wanted to do something on my, like I was just feeling like I wanted to take some ownership over what was happening. And so I, I went pretty much the whole day. At one point, one of the residents came in and um, sadly, this was kind of like the warmest moment I had this whole experience. And she got down on my level. I think I was bouncing on an exercise ball at that time and or birthing ball and, and she, she kind of looked at me in the eyes and she said, you know, you've been doing this for a long time. We're not really, you know, you're not really progressing. And I'm, if you're not going to do an epidural, I'm wondering if, if maybe you would consider morphine. Um, I think that's what it was, just to kind of take the edge off. And at that point, I was like, okay, sure, I'll do that. Um, yeah. So it ended up just making me very loopy. And I felt like everything else was just the same. <laughs> so um, it kind of was a gateway drug for me, and right away I was like, why don't we just do the epidural, because I've already done this, and I'll I'll do the epidural, and it had been a while. So I did get an epidural. Um, up, that was probably like 6 or 7 o'clock in the evening. Around 10 o'clock, I was um, checked, and I'm sure lots of other things happened in between that time, but I was ready to push, according to the, the doctor, and... Mm-hmm. Um, it was, I very much remember in my head her looking at me and saying, he is right there. I can feel his head. You are going to push. It's going to be three pushes. She said three pushes and he's going to be out. And I was like, okay. Like all wrapped out. My mom was there. My husband's there. And I start pushing and I'm still pushing and I'm still pushing and nothing. Like I, I, there's no like, okay, like he's right. He's coming, you know, and thinking, okay, this is not three pushes. And I don't know what happened. I really don't. But suddenly everything just sort of changed. I, well, I do know that my, my son's heart rate was dropping. Um, but it just kind of came on suddenly. And I was being turned onto my side. And then I was being clipped over onto all fours. And oxygen was put on. I was still being asked to push. But it was very, like everything in the room got pretty heightened. Again, just kind of not, just feeling like everything's a little bit of a blur. From there, I, I really only remember being wheeled down the hallway to an OR. 
I know I was freaked out and kind of asking what was going on and feeling like I wasn't really getting a lot of information. What I did know is that while my son's heart rate was dropping, he was also recovering well. And so it was an emergency, mm-hmm. but it, it was, you know, I guess urgent or whatever it is that they, you know, it's called. But they often so call are, it an emergency, an emergency C-section. That's a lot of times they call it. Yeah. And that's, um, that's kind of the language I used for a while. I think until after like realizing that, you know, they were, they were still letting me push. And like after he would recover, I was still able to like try to push. Right. And even getting into the OR, I was able to push. And we did try um, vacuum and we tried forceps. And all this time, again, I was very freaked out. My husband wasn't in the room for a long time in the OR with us for a long time. And I was asking a lot of questions and just feeling like no one was really talking to me mm. um, or letting me know what was going on. And finally, he got to come into the room. And I decided after the vacuum was done one time. I think they try, it's tried up to three times. And again, you guys probably know more about that than I do. But I decided I wanted to just stop because, again, working in the NICU, I was just afraid of any kind of yeah, totally. complication from that. So we proceeded with the C-section. And as it's happening, I'm just hearing the, the surgeon, the doctor who's doing the procedure, you know, she's like, come on, come on. And I was getting very scared. Um, I could feel, t- like, tugging. I couldn't feel anything, but I could tell she was tugging. And um, I was asking the anesthesiologist, like, what's happening? Is everything okay? And, of course, he can't tell me anything. But after a little while, I hear my son. He's crying. Everything, you know, he was fine. It sounds like he was very far down the birth canal, but just wasn't yeah. coming out. So um, he latched right away. My husband got to hold him, brought him over to me. We were able to breastfeed right away. And I just, I was, I was really defeated instantly. And one, I was extremely tired, but it was, I really didn't have like a cloud nine moment or anything at that, at that point. I mean, I was happy to have my son there, but I was very overwhelmed. And through my whole hospital stay, just incredibly tearful. Anytime anybody came in, it was just really hard for me to talk about anything without um, becoming very upset. Yeah. Um, and something that was interesting is just, it didn't seem like anyone was, I thought it was a big deal. It just seemed like it was just, like, okay. Finally, a lactation consultant came in, and, of course, you know, like I said with everyone else, I got cheerful. I got cheerful with her as well, and she told me about a doula group that was local to the area that the hospital was in, which was close to my home, and they had a birth trauma class, and that was kind of the first time I had heard anything about birth trauma, and so After going home, I looked into this and tried to access that resource and learned that this place also had, that's where they have the local ICANN chapter, which was really cool too. So I got um, a little bit involved in that and I joined their Facebook group online to get support and really just tried to learn more about what happened. Um, Again, working in the hospital, I had access to my my birth records, so I read them like thousands of times. And I, I learned that my son was, his heart rate was dropping, but it was going into the 80s. And so I know that that's not, I I don't know everything. I don't know like all of, you know, how serious that is. But from what I learned, I don't, it, I have a lot of questions. I guess I had a lot of questions about like, well, how much of this could have been prevented or different if I had more support or if I was able to just maybe take a rest and, you know, lots of things. And so that kind of began my journey of learning more about, what options I had or how to make a 
my experience a little bit different if I could next time. So I joined a birth circle in my area as well and went to a lot of meetings. Um, a couple that stood out really for me was one meeting a lot of local doulas. We had a, a meeting where a lot of doulas came and we were able to meet them and get their business card. And I had written on the back of all of the cards everyone who talked about VBAC. And I only saved those cards. Um, and then we had another um, meeting with um, an author of a book called Natural Hospital Birth. Her name is Cynthia Gabriel. Yeah, that's a good and, book. Um, yeah, yeah. So she came and talked with us. And they just like opened my eyes to this whole new world of learning about birth and, again, what options I had. And I had so many notes that I came home and told my husband about. And he said, got pretty energized about it. I ended up doing, even before, you know, probably thinking about being pregnant again, I ended up watching the business of being born, kind of doing all these things I wish I would have done before my, my first pregnancy. But, you know, watching that and looking at the VBAC facts, um, information from Jen Kingwall, and also going to therapy, that was really beneficial for me too, seeing a therapist just to kind of work through some of that trauma, you know, some of the postpartum depression and anxiety yeah. that I had. So one year later, so after my son was a year old, I ended up leaving the hospital. And um, I think it was probably a good idea for me at the time. It was really difficult for me to be in the NICU and just kind of still with a lot of lingering thoughts and feelings about um, my experience and just being in the same hospital and I joined a private practice doing um, therapy. So a little while after I was there, I got pregnant again. Um, that was late summer of just last year, 18. And I regularly switched um, hospitals and providers. So I ended up joining a midwife group at another local hospital. And at my first kind of con- you know consult with them, they seemed incredibly VBAC supportive. And that held true throughout my entire pregnancy. Um, I don't feel like there was ever a midwife because it was a practice where there were several. Um, never one that I saw that I felt had any kind of doubt or, you know, like, well, we're going to have to think about this. It just didn't seem like a thing at all, which I was really happy with. You know, you know, listening to this podcast, a lot of it, not everyone has that experience. And so thankfully, I felt very well supported by them. So that was, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I also started calling doulas. I got my, my business cards out and started calling doulas. And um, the doula I ultimately chose after an interview is someone who was trained in spinning babies. And so that was really meaningful for me. And she also had a package with chiropractic care kind of attached to it. So it was really cool too. And so um, I was able to see, you know, Webster certified chiropractor and the doula kind of in sync with each other. And there was some coordination of care there. It was just kind of, it seems like a really nice benefit. I also started therapy again at that time just to really prepare myself with like learning just some language around advocacy and informed choice and things like that. I kind of did all the things. I did all the things that, you know, a lot of a lot of people do and a lot of things that, you know, again, I heard on this podcast, just, mm-hmm. you know, reading the book, anime, um, listening to the podcast literally all the time, praying, walking, meditating, yoga, talking with my friends, journaling, doing even some art. I feel like one of the hardest parts for me in the whole process was um, really sharing a repeat C-section and um, 
having a lot of difficulty just kind of surrendering to this is this is not all in my control. Like I can do all of these things, but ultimately the outcome isn't in my control. And really struggled with that, with like how do I kind of wrap my head around, I don't know what's going to happen exactly. I don't feel like I really resolved that until probably the last week of my pregnancy where I, I did feel like I kind of got to a point where I just needed to surrender a little bit to, um, like I said, that's not surrendering if I'm surrendering a little bit, but trying to surrender just to, like, this is kind of my son's first story, my second son's first story, not, not really mine completely. So, yeah, like I said, that was um, a really difficult part for me of my pregnancy. And um, I think the only other really difficult thing was um, I was GPS positive and I wasn't sure how that was going to affect the VBAC. And so I was learning from my midwives that it really wouldn't, but I was really stuck on like needing to get to the hospital and like, do you do the antibiotics? Do you not do the antibiotics? And I ended up finding a midwife in the area who retested me because the midwife practices would not retest after the first one. And this is kind of beside the point, but it, it was, it was very concerning for me for whatever reason. I was I was thinking, I don't am I gonna wanna go to the hospital early? Is that gonna, you know, not be a good idea? And so it was a little bit of a dilemma. But as you will hear, I didn't have to really worry about that so much. Mm-hmm. So my labor started um two days after my due date and I was having kind of mild contractions the day before my son was born. Um, nothing major, nothing that I was too concerned about. So I did kind of the normal things. I took a couple of walks and did some yoga. About midday, we, my husband, my son, and I went to a grocery store, and I was really getting uncomfortable, almost to the point that I wanted to leave. And um, I'm kind of someone who doesn't like to cry well for calling the attention to myself, so I just kind of dealt with it. <laughs> but in my head, I was like, I got to get out of here. I have to go home right now. But we kind of finished our trip. We went home, and then things really settled down. Later that night, I, I decided to take another walk, and I called my doula, and I just kind of let her know what was going on, and her advice was, you need to rest, you need to eat. It does sound like some things are happening for you. If I got a call, I wouldn't be super surprised. If I don't get a call, I'm not going to be surprised either. So, you know, just don't hesitate, basically, to call me if you need to. Something that happened that night on that walk that just really has stuck with me is um, I was walking just down I think a road over from where I live and just saw the most beautiful rainbow at the end of my road. And it was kind of a little bit rainy that night and I wasn't, but I wasn't expecting to see a rainbow at all. And it was just this rain, big rainbow. And I stopped for a minute to take a picture and I certainly didn't have this feeling of like, Oh, the rainbow was going to happen tonight, but I really had a piece about it. I had a sense of calm and, and seeing that just for whatever reason, I just felt very like everything's going to be okay. Like this is all going to be fine. And it was just a, it was very symbolic for me in this journey. So fast forward to about 3.30 that morning. <laughs> the next morning, I woke up and just kind of was like, okay, how am I feeling? And um wasn't feeling anything. And so I really just kind of laid there. I couldn't fall back to sleep, but nothing was happening in terms of contractions and or anything like that until about 4.20. Um, at that time, I felt a pretty strong contraction. And I decided to just lay there, and exactly 10 minutes later, I felt another one. So I decided to get up, and I went downstairs, and I grabbed a snack and kind of just got the exercise ball out. And, of course, I watched some Vanderpump Rules like everybody does <laughs> and um, just kind of hung out. But I was recording the contractions, just the timing apart 
of the contractions in my phone. And I noticed that they were getting closer and closer very quickly. It was like 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 7 minutes, 6 minutes, 7 minutes, 6 minutes, 5 minutes. And um, they were pretty intense. About 5 a.m., my husband came downstairs, and I was like, I think we need to start making some phone calls. Like, I, you know, this, this feels like I'm starting to kind of feel, get a little bit nervous. And so I texted uh, my doula, and then she called me, and she um, was talking to me through a contraction. And she's like, you know, you sound okay. Like, I can tell you're, you know, you're, I'm going to come. Like, I think that this is cue for me to come, but I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to be on my way. I'll be there in about an hour. I think that's that sounds like plenty of time. And, again, I didn't want to call any attention to myself. And I'm the line, like, mm-hmm, okay, uh-huh. And not really thinking that. I was in labor, labor, but like, I was like, yeah, I'm like really uncomfortable, but I also didn't really know. I didn't want her to come if she didn't need to. So I just let her, I, she said she was going to be on her way and I was like, okay, just, that sounds good. I hung up the phone and we decided, okay, we probably should call our daycare provider because um, we were going to need to take my son early and we were thinking, okay, maybe we'll drop him off and then go to the hospital. So we called her and she said, absolutely, whenever, whenever you, you need to. So that was about 5.45 um, that we had kind of gotten that, that all squared away. About 6 o'clock, my son got up and he came down the stairs. And at that point, I was really, like, not present in the moment. I was having a really hard time interacting with him, and I started to get very loud. And um, I am not a loud person. Like, I was, like, I'm not going to be somebody who moans. I'm not going to be somebody who screams. And I totally was, like, <laughs> totally was. And I was I was very loud and um, almost thinking it was going to scare him. And thankfully, he thought it was kind of funny. But I really, would, like I said, I wasn't present with him at all. I was just kind of starting to be in my own world. So my husband was getting really freaked out. He at this point and on, he was as white as a ghost for uh, the entire time. But we ended up calling the doula back, and it sounded like she was racing to get here and, and was in- really encouraging us to need to get in the car and, and get to the hospital. And so my husband hung up with her and he said, we need to go. We need to get in the car. And I don't know what it was. I, it wasn't even that I was thinking that I was going to have a baby at home, but I knew I couldn't get in the car. I was like, I, there's no way I'm getting in a car. There's just no way. Like I actually, like <laughs> I physically can't, you know, my husband's like, what do you mean you can't? <laughs> we have to, like, we have to go. And I, I just couldn't. And um, at that point I actually, really needed to get on the toilet I um was my my bowels were just suddenly needing to <laughs> release <laughs> <thing>. and so <laughs> yes yes so I went to the toilet and that's where I stayed until um I do look out there and um my son was we have this tiny bathroom right on the first floor of a house and I'm in there my husband's in there and my son is in there <laughs> and I'm just great you know just, I'm very loud I'm very loud yeah. in the bathroom and it was um, intense, to say the least, but um, we ended up calling the day- our daycare provider back, and thankfully, we, we have an awesome provider, and she does um, just as a small in-home daycare, and she actually came and picked my son up, and so at 6.45, my doula pulls into my our driveway and comes into the house, and I had forgotten to say, at the last phone call, about 10 minutes before, she told my husband to call EMS. And so he was on the phone with EMS, mm-hmm. and she pulls in, Tammy pulls in the doula, and she's now in the bathroom with us, <laughs> and she's kind of coaching me. And at that point, my water breaks, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm yelling, I'm pushing, and it's like, I, 
and pushing and pushing. And my husband is on the phone with EMS, like I said, and he's like ripping shoelaces out of my son's shoe because I, I apparently they told him like, you need a piece of string, you need to get all these things. And he's like <laughs> trying to figure out oh like, what to do. Oh, oh my gosh. It's just thinking about it. It's, it's wild. But right after Tammy gets there, our, our daycare provider, Gina, pulls in and walks into the into the house and the bathroom is right there at the door and she literally grabs my son, picks him up and walks up and leaves and just, just knew what to do, got him in the car and away they went, you know, kind of just in time. Um, right at that point, Tammy, um, my doula, she said, you know, you are um, not going to have a baby at the hospital. <laughs> um, you're <sighs> also not going to have a baby on the toilet we need to get you up and we need to move you to the living room. Let's wow. you know, get some blankets laid down. So I'm telling them that I have this bag of, of old towels in the back of my car that I was planning to get rid of. And of course, instead my husband grabs all of our brand new towels with tags on them. And I know. So anyway, I, I get up somehow and, and go to the living room and um, just naturally was on all fours pushing. And this was at um, 6.45, like I said, and about, right about 10, maybe 10 minutes after this, EMS gets here. And so I'm in the living room and I have like six men <laughs> in the living room with uniforms on just basically staring at me because thankfully Tammy um, was there and kind of coaching me along. And I think they were grateful for that as well. So um, I, that's, I mean, that was, that was it. I was on all fours. I was pushing and at 708, um, my son was born. And so there was um, about 15 or 20 minutes after my doula got there that he was born. Oh my gosh. Um, Yeah, it was, it was, I don't, yeah, I'm just glad that we were able to make all those phone calls. Yeah. Like I just was not expecting that, just given how my, you know, my first birth went when it, it took a very long time to progress. But yeah, he was born and I, um, I got to just sit on the floor and hold him and nurse him. And we waited for my placenta to deliver. And after that, I, I basically got dressed and got in an ambulance, and my son and I took a ride in the ambulance to the hospital. Yeah, I was going to ask if you ended up going to the hospital or staying. <laughs> yeah, so I guess it was protocol that I ha- they, they told me I had to. They said that you I had to go. And so I just did. I got in, and um, I also, I, so because of the GBS positive, too, I ended up having to stay in the hospital for 48 hours mm. after that. I was kind of, I was day after day one, I was ready to go. But the first day I was like, I don't care. I'll do anything you want. I just can't, I can't believe I had this experience. I was just like, whatever. Just so excited and ecstatic and happy. So my, yeah, my husband and Dula, they followed me to the hospital. It was just very interesting. Everyone was very skeptical of what had just happened and asking, you know, did you plan this? <laughs> um, and thinking, like, if I wanted a home birth, I would have, you know what, I would have just planned a home birth. So I did not plan it, but I definitely think that it was, I mean, thankfully, you know, everything was okay. But I I definitely think it, it chose me in a way because 
very anxious person, but um, it, I mean, it just happened. I didn't, I just feel like I didn't have any choice in the matter. So it was good for me in that way, I think, just that to take off, to, to not have really any control and really to, again, not even realize what was happening, even though I did realize what was happening. I was, at no point was I like, I'm having a home birth, I'm having a home birth. Mm-hmm. Um, it just happened. So, so yeah, but like I said, you just in the hospital for a couple of days. And after going home, and this is when I actually um, decided to, I had been a part of the Facebook community, but I, I reached out to the two of you and just said, you know, I'm hesitant to share at this point, but I was feeling kind of the sense of loss. Um, I had really dedicated a lot of my time and energy and focus on on a back, And then it was over, and I had formed some really awesome relationships with, you know, my chiropractor and, yeah. um, you know, everyone and, and just being, you know, listening to the podcast and like doing yoga every day. It's just something I don't do otherwise. <laughs> I didn't mm-hmm. do otherwise and just feeling like, okay, like what do I, what do, I do now? I don't know what, you know, there's not a whole lot of purpose behind um, some of the things I was doing at this point and was really feeling sad about that. And so this, yeah, like you said, that's when I had reached out and, just wanted to see if anyone else had felt that way as well, which, you know, sounds like it's pretty common. So I, that's, you know, kind of my story in terms of, you know, comparing, I, well, I guess I had an H back, which I don't ever really think about. I, I, (laughs) but I had an H back and I did tear, I I, I tore quite a bit and the recovery was tough, but I definitely feel like in general, you know, I felt better. I was, like I said, super happy that this was the outcome that <laughs> I had. And, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to share it. This has been a great resource for me. So, um, What an intense, <laughs> what, what an intense journey, though. Yeah. Like, I just can't imagine. Because, you know, my birth was, like, so long and so drawn out (laughs) forever (laughs) to have it just be, like, and like you said, like, something that you planned and you prepped for and you did so much to have it just be, like, boom, 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 and we've got this baby, (laughs) you know, and it's, it's, like, it's such a weird thing for me to think about. I'm, like, would I rather have that, like, really fast and tense or would I rather, I don't know, like... There's definitely downsides There's to both. There's some downsides to both <laughs> for sure. So, oh my gosh, but I'm so happy for you and so proud of you and so glad that you had, you know, a good team there for you when you needed them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I you. think, oh my gosh, you know, it's interesting because every birth is so different, obviously, and even every pregnancy and individual woman's birth is so different. And man alive you just those fast bursts they catch you off guard and you don't really have time to process or cope like in the middle of them and so you like your baby's born you're just like what the heck just happened to me I can kind of relate to that although with my fourth baby uh, I said this before but I had prodromal labor for like 27 days so like labor Mm -hmm. would start every night and it was stopping like baby's in a good position I was going to a chiropractor I was like taking my Epsom salt baths making sure I was not dehydrated and I don't know what was going on but like by the time I finally believed that it was actual labor and so the time the baby was born was like just two and a half hours but that's not really the part that caught me off guard because by that time, like I kind of, I was like my third rodeo, right? I kind of knew <laughs> what to expect, but every other 
birth before that, my water broke before labor started. And with hers, my water didn't break until the very end. But when my water broke, I was still anticipating a long amount of time because I had pushed, you know, well, my first was two hours and my second was less than 20 minutes. But like once the water broke, I'm pretty sure she just fell out of me. Like I said in my episode, episode number three, I'm like, she shot out of my vagina like a rocket ship. And that's exactly how it felt. And so like after she was born, like I was holding her and I'm just like, what the heck just happened? Like I couldn't even process it and i think that that's a lot what like precipitous labor is like when it comes on Mm -hmm. so fast you don't have time to process in the moment and so afterwards you're kind of like shell-shocked a little bit because you've got to catch up like mentally to all the things that just happened physically and so Mm -hmm. um long labors are hard and and short labors are hard but for very different reasons (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah even just like talking back and looking you know like thinking of the timing of things whenever I tell somebody I it almost feels like I'm making it up or something or I'm like just in your head like I don't even know really what was happening it's hard to even put a time stamp on things or to remember what what was going on and yeah and then to process everything that happened and then you have this baby and mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> I I originally started out this episode intending to talk about Um, home birth and I do want to talk just very briefly about that but I actually want to talk more about postpartum depression and postpartum mood disorders because it's been a little while since we've talked about that on the podcast but home birth um, a lot of people think that it's unsafe or scary or oh my gosh your feedback you're having a feedback we want I mean like what would you do if what would you do if like what if this Um, But I wanted to just briefly go over again the four things that um, make home birth a safe option for low-risk women. And the first of them is you have to be (laughs) low-risk. So I kind of already said that one. First of all, yeah, it's a low-risk pregnancy. And guess what? Being a VBAC mom does not make you high-risk automatically. VBAC is still a low-risk birth, um, unless there's obviously other kinds of complications. But you have to have a care provider that's like skilled and trained and knows how to support birthing women at home. And the third one is that VBAC is planned and prepared for and that you have a backup plan in place. Like, so if you're going to have a home birth, like don't be three hours from the closest hospital. That's probably not the best choice. I mean, unless your intuition is telling you so, then by all means, do what your intuition says. But those are the four things. Now, obviously, those things didn't happen, except for you were low risk. But, mm-hmm. you know, everything still worked out great. And, and I'm not trying to, like, say you made a bad choice or anything. Because sometimes you just do what you have to do to get through it, right? And But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, those kind of things happen all the time. So if you would like to have a home birth, make sure that you, if you're preparing for that, make sure that you ha- do have a supportive provider that knows how to watch for emergencies and transfer you if it becomes necessary. But I want to talk a little bit about postpartum mood disorders and how to heal from birth trauma. Because a lot of times, a lot of our listeners, a lot of these women of strength that we're speaking to right now are coming from a cesarean that was not planned, that was oftentimes pretty traumatic, and that they weren't given a chance to make a choice for. So we actually wrote a blog, surprise! It's called How to Heal from Birth Trauma, and it's on our blog the vbacklink.com slash blog. You have to scroll down a little bit, but don't worry. Those blogs will just auto-populate as you scroll. But um, I want to talk a little bit about it because, you know, we just heard how much you suffered 
after your cesarean. And I'm so glad that you found the support you need. And it, it was really cool that you already had a pre-existing um, like birth trauma support group in place and you went to therapy, which I think ter- therapy can sometimes get a bad rap, but man, I swear everybody in this world could benefit from a little bit of therapy because <laughs> it can, mm-hmm. it can literally save you. It can save you. And so I want to know, I want you guys to know anyone that's suffering from birth trauma or that feels unheard like Rachel did during her postpartum experience. You know, a lot of people say, oh, happy or healthy mom, healthy baby. That's all that matters. But one thing we don't consider is mental health when we say that, right? Like your baby's fine. You're fine. I always fine. say healthy mom, healthy baby, good experience. Yeah. Just in general, like it's really important to think about what the mom went through because yes of course she's happy that the baby's healthy and that she's okay but that doesn't really mean she had a positive experience and that mentally it's gonna it's gonna put her in a good place or a bad place does that make sense well and in in saying healthy babies all that matters completely discredits the mom and how she feels about anything Mm -hmm. that happens Mm -hmm. and so we have a links to a lot of resources on that blog. First of all, I want to talk about the the book, How to Heal a Bad Birth. We love this book. We are not getting paid for this. We're not endorsing, like we're not like sponsored or any in any way by them, but it is just a really good book. If you're suffering from birth trauma, you can get it on Amazon. Um, you can get it probably lots of other places, but it is amazing. And we definitely recommend it if you're not able to find the support you need near you and even if you are able to find the support you need near you but sometimes it's really easy to feel like you have no hope and there's no one to talk to and um, you have nowhere to go for help and I want to tell everybody right now that's listening the United States crisis hotline it's amazing because it's much it's kind of like the suicide hotline except um, you don't have to be suicidal choose it and you can actually text it because when you're when you are feeling down and depressed and and frustrated and struggling, probably the last thing you want to do is actually talk to somebody on the phone that you don't even know. And so I really like that because texting is just a lot easier, especially for our generation, I think nowadays. But you can actually text the United States Crisis Hotline. Just spell out the word connect, C-O-N-N-E-C-T, to the number 741741. It's like right down the dial pad or right up the dial pad. I guess it just depends on how your dial pad goes. Mm-hmm. 741741. Text the word connect there and they're going to get you connected um, to local resources in your area. They're going to help you right away and get you on the way to feeling better. So again, all those resources are listed in our blog through vbacklink.com slash blog. And we hope that you take some time to read it and that next time somebody tells you that they are struggling after their birth experience that you say I want to hear you I want to know how you're feeling and then just sit and listen because sometimes having somebody to just listen to you is the biggest difference and the biggest change to shift how you're feeling about everything so yeah awesome well, we are so grateful to you for sharing your story with us tonight, Rachel. Um, you're incredible. I just, I love your birth experience. I always tell my husband, I'm like, my dream birth would have been to like, be like speeding down the highway and like birthing in the van, <laughs> like on the seat next to my husband. He's like whooping his cell phone out, like, which like get 
this on video and this baby's coming out like you know you see, you all seen videos like that like that would have totally been my dream birth you just like flying <laughs> flying to the hospital by the seat of our pants and then you just go in and like make sure everybody's okay afterwards like that, I just think it sounds like a dream birth to me so um so I'm so grateful for you and we I'm just hope you stay a part of our community because we just absolutely adore you Thank you so much. Thanks for having me in. Again, a huge part of it was listening to all the stories. So I'm so glad you have this resource available. Oh, we're so glad. Thank you so much. (laughs) Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to thevbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.